This week, who saw that coming? Also, were sublime as it picked up a huge bonus point win over Scarlet and Clenathley. I nearly said Clenathley there, just <laughs> reading it without thinking. Uh, they were taking a massive, massive step then towards the European knockout stages, and there was a hoodoo broken in the process. So we'll discuss all of that, and of course, this week's rematch at Kingspan Stadium. There's also the departure of our dear friend Schalk van der Merwe. Early timed announcement last week, so uh, yeah, yeah, that announcement was so long ago I'd actually forgotten them. That they appointed discussion. I sat down and wrote the running order today, and only remembered it at that point that it happened. So, but <laughs> clearly, clearly, he was that memorable. With Eric Sullivan going eighty all the time, we find that Ulster actually only need one loose head prop. Well, so. let's not discuss it yet. We're not. At, we're still in the intro. <laughs> let's not go too deep into things. We've got listener questions on the club rugby roundup. So. Ulster, Scarlet's 24, Ulster 25, five points from Park East Scarlet's. Couldn't really have gone much better, despite, and I will remind you both of this, the final word on the podcast last week from both of you. Can Ulster win? No. No. I forgot shame, on, shame on you both. Uh, shame on you both. I know nothing about anything. Like it's, <laughs> and we just proved it once again. It's frankly miraculous that anyone pays me to talk about stuff. So. <laughs> I'm just going to say I sat at half time and said they still wouldn't win, even whenever they were leading. So yes, to be fair, I wouldn't admit to that. To, to be fair, at half time, I was like, no, they, they've got this. I believe in them. So I was more optimistic than Adam. It just took me a good forty minutes to be convinced. Oh, I don't fair. remember you saying that. I said this is their night. I said this is their night for. Probably an hour of the last game. Even Just like quietly under his breath. Nobody <laughs> <hears>. <laughs> I definitely said it. I definitely said it. So what about the, the performance itself then? Was this finally the moment when, as we've been saying all season, we just needed all to come together? Was this it? Yeah, I think this is... Um, I asked Dwayne Peel this afterwards, if this was like the first time this season that they had a performance that wasn't undermined by one aspect of their game going wrong because we've seen it so many times where they've been decent in other areas but the scrums malfunctioned or the line outs went awry or they haven't been able to hold on to the ball or some, something has always gone wrong where even if you know even we, we had a bad day of restarts at one stage where just one aspect of the game falls away and at this level that can cost you but this was really the first time where everything I thought every part of their game came together on the same day. It's probably not a coincidence. That's by far the strongest team that they've had out. That's, I would say, arguably their first choice 15. You can bring Gilroy back in for Spate maybe, but then Spate obviously had a very, very, very good game. Um, Look at him. Spate has one good game and Johnny's already asking for his head. (laughs) What? (laughs) I was merely making the point that Arguably, it's not the first choice 15 because you could have Gilroy in there when he comes back from injury, but in his absence, assuming that they're not going to drop Stockdale when Gilroy comes back, Spate had a good game. It is a joke, Charlie. Calm down. You went very defensive. (laughs) I went very high-pitched for some reason. (laughs) What? 
we, we had this last season, didn't we? I mean, like I saw the I couldn't get I was at Snow Patrol on Friday night, so I couldn't get watching the game. Snow Patrol very very good. Um, so I saw the result coming in, and I was sort of like. And did what you did, it was exactly the same sound. <laughs> and then I sort of thought, oh no, like they have Roy Best there and they have all the, the Irish guys. We had this last year, didn't they? Where they got some great results with the Irish guys. And without the Irish guys, just it's so different. So really, this just underlines all that once again, doesn't it? Well, it is remarkable how different this team is whenever they have their internationals. It's. It's incredible how much they add to the team. And while it's good, it's also a little bit worrying at the same time. But for the moment, like let's focus on how good it was. Rory mm. Best coming up with that massive turnover in the 55th minute uh, whenever Scarlets were threatening. Uh, Stu McCluskey coming up with that big turnover at the end. Two massive moments in Stu the game. Stu McCluskey loves a well-timed turnover. Stu McCluskey, <laughs> absolutely. Lo- You'd think he could almost play in the back row. Let's not start let's, that again. Let's not start that <laughs> um, No, but you, you see those guys coming back in, the difference they make. Will Addison of course, was absolutely phenomenal. Rory Best leads from the front admirably. Ian Henderson, I thought, had one of his best games this season, uh, playing at lock. And even even at one point, he got a stinger on his arm and was still trying to defend at uh, at every opportunity. So I, I think you see what these guys bring to Ulster. Uh, you, you can't understate how important they are to the team. And one of the things that... Dwayne said afterwards was our big player stepped up tonight and they most certainly did and that's probably what made the difference why why is it that way though I mean like every team or almost every team is missing a really significant part of their squad for the internationals like the amount of players Scarlett's had away during the last game but Scarlett still came through that easily against Ulster so the difference in their performance you would presume isn't as big as the difference in, in Ulster's performance well it's an issue of depth I mean in years gone by, this type of year when you're missing your Ireland internationals would have been when the onus was on the likes of Rui and Pinar, more so in the Six Nations than during the autumn, but Rui and Pinar, Nick Williams, John Afoa, uh, Johan Muller, guys like that. Whereas now, when the Irish internationals are away, um, it's basically all of your internationals are away, with the exception of... Um, Marcel Cotillo who again was fantastic on um, on Friday night so it's now the Irish internationals are such a central part of the squad it's not when you have your first choice 15 out you have a smattering of Irish internationals and four really really good NIQs it's when you take your Irish internationals out you have no disrespect players who are not being picked for Ireland so it um, you have your non-test level players, where Scarlets, you know, Cassiem hasn't been great for them, although he was very good two weeks ago in Ulster. Um, he hasn't been great for them. Blade Thompson, somebody that they brought in, thinking he could be that sort of player when the internationals are away, and then I think as soon as he landed, um, he got called into a Scotland squad, and he's been injured as well. Um, Byrne obviously would have been somebody that played through the international windows for them in the past as well. Um, now at Munster so I think there's maybe in terms of recruitment Scarlet teams like Scarlet's have a way that they can get around it by mm-hmm. with imports who are not um, not being selected for their international teams whereas the way that Ulster's recruitment has gone the way that Irish rugby recruitment has gone in recent years you don't have that option anymore because so much of it is now geared towards 
Irish qualified talent that you're really left with the players who aren't in the Ireland squad. I'm sure. I'm sure if Ulster were offered the likes of uh, Cassium and Blomachies and Thompson, well, Thompson before he was called up to Scotland, they would have taken them in a heartbeat at the start of the season. Mm-hmm. But as Johnny said, that's just not how recruitment works in Ireland. But is this not is this not going to be an issue then? I mean, obviously we all know the benefits of the the system the way it is. But if you're effectively, you know, you're you're really harming Ulster's season in this because that's that, it's a significant period of the season that your internationals aren't going to play for them. Well, the the main point is the RFU want the national team to be as good as it can be. And to make the national team as good as it can be, the plan is you get the provinces playing as many Irish players as possible, mm-hmm. you develop as many Irish players as possible, and eventually they'll be uh, competing for spots in the national squad. So the, the RFU don't see this as weakening Ulster they see it as developing players for the national team. And if Ulster are doing their job right, they should be developing players for the national team who will then step up during these international breaks and whenever mm. the international players are away and you know compete in a squad. You, you know, Leinster are still hampered by the same constraints and they're top of the conference by a long way. Munster are still hampered by the constraints and they're uh, doing well in the league too. So it's it's not impossible for Ulster to compete whenever the internationals are away. They've just got to develop that squad depth and they've got to develop the players who can step in when the internationals away. And we're not talking that they have to produce exactly the same performance because the guys who are away are internationals for a reason. They are mm. that step up. But produce a quality of performance that their absence won't be as notable as what they mm. have been in yeah. previous seasons. And I yeah, think like at the end of the day, the Irish system in terms of the test arena is the envy of the world because England should be better than Ireland, France mm. should be better than Ireland, but their leagues are such a slog and you see especially things like after Lions tours, like how quickly those guys come back in to play mm. for their clubs. Yeah. You know, it probably does hamper Ulster's efforts in First couple of games in the seasons, games in November, games during the Six Nations. But as Adam makes the point, what you really need then is the next generation of Irish internationals to come through. Um, like if you were to go through the Leinster players in the so that are so key to the Ireland setup now, you can comfortably place a good bit of money that most of them have made their provincial debuts mm, yeah. during these times mm. if Ireland win the World Cup it'll be well worth it really mm. losing a couple of games in like October yeah plus we're getting, we're getting a bit way late here after um, yeah no yeah, sorry, like, uh, sorry. yeah this is my fault I'm directing this <laughs> anyway look I was going to go back on to, to topic now before we do that let's uh, before we discuss in detail then a few of the, the Irish guys uh, performances for Ulster let's hear a little bit from finally finally man of the match Will Addison Oh, it, it means a lot, but to, I, I wasn't really backing myself to get it. I think uh, Henry Spade had probably his best game for all, so he was great, and I think we're really excited to see what he can do in the in the, in the few weeks he's got left. He's been a, a great addition to the group, so uh, I was delighted for him, really, that he uh, he got a try out there. And uh, you look at Louis Ludic coming back from injury as well, who was a grand great, and uh, yeah, you can, the list goes on. Eric O'Sullivan putting in 80 minutes at loose head properties. You kind of feel a bit guilty stealing a man of match from someone like that. So let's deal with the man himself, Will Allison, first then. Uh, that performance was um, something that I suppose we're coming well accustomed to with Will Allison now, and that it was top drawer, um, particularly the, the two tries, setting up Stockdale, and then his own try. The, the runs were just 
great rugby to watch. Yeah, he's he is so good to watch, and I think we mentioned this last week, just the way that he carries the ball in two hands all the time, and his natural instinct. Um, I think he's what Willie Anderson would have described as a heads up rugby player, and that he gets the ball, he has it in two hands, and he's looking up. And there were times, especially on Friday, like um, Ulster clearly came in with this mentality, and a few of them mentioned this that they were going to fire a few shots, and you could see with the way they were running the ball out of their 22 like it was one point in the game where Rory Best was firing a pass across the face of his own posts and they were attacking from there but Will Addison really is the embodiment of that idea and what else they're trying to do and that's why I think um, that's why I think he's so good at centre maybe he's obviously a very good fullback but that's why I think it's good to see him at centre because he can get so involved in those congested areas and you see um, you know the Stockdale try it was Jonathan Davies um, that he slipped by and Jonathan Davies is an incredible rugby player like he's one of my favourite rugby players to watch and especially especially live like you really get just that sense of how good he is but Will Addison made him look bad there and Stockdale had to do a heck of a lot but it was his initial break that started that um, started that try and then the other thing that maybe he didn't get credit for but he should do in a one point game was it was his grubber through as well that Henry Spate gathered um, in the move that could have ended with well Ulster thought it should have ended with a penalty try but that eventually they got their first their first three points of the game so it was him that created that as well and then obviously his own try now again Scarlett's probably looking at that thinking that he got through too easily but it was a very he ran a very good line. Like whenever we watched it live in the stadium, I think I actually wrote in my match reports that he'll have been surprised with how easily he got through. But yeah. when you go back and watch it, it is a great line that he picks out. It was mm-hmm. just it was far away from us. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Um, if you haven't read it already, Charlie Morgan's done a great analysis piece on Addison's performance in the uh, in the game. And one of the things that he picks out from that try is he does a strike run from behind two forwards. It's O'Sullivan and Kutsia come round the back of the ruck. Mm-hmm. And you expect, you know, that we pass out to one of those two and they'll mm-hmm. truck it up. Addison runs from behind them. And it's something we've seen from Ireland a little bit. Um, and then he just picks that brilliant line between Owens and Bulbring. And there's no way either of them are stopping him from mm-hmm. the position he's in. I, j- I just thought it was a brilliant performance. You see what he can do. On attack, it's absolutely fantastic. I, I agree with you about him being at centre. I think he he looks just so composed in tight situations. Even whenever he's surrounded, he always looks like he knows a way that he could get out of it. The only problem is, I think his his better chance of getting into the Ireland squad or into the Ireland team more specifically is at fullback. Now that's something else to worry about. Um, and it's like an inverse Jared Payne. Almost, yeah. That would, <laughs> but like at, at center, <laughs> at, at center, he just looks so composed. I think he and McC- might give you more injury news as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think he and McCloskey have struck up a very good relationship in the center. I think you can see how well they work together in terms of McCloskey can now run the decoy runs with Addison being able to provide that extra strike runner outside him. And I think that's going to be a really good partnership for Ulster going forward. Hmm. Um, what about Rory Best himself? I feel like I had another point about Will Addison, but I can't remember now. Uh, um, I was thrown off the injury news. Just about his um, um, embarrassment at getting man of the match. 
Oh yeah, yeah. yeah that that was it. I'm just gonna say that was it. Um, yeah. Let's talk about that. After. Yeah, because obviously, like he got man of the match. Um, I think that he probably could have and probably should have got man of the match in like any of his first <laughs> three or four Ulster performances. Um, but he he finally got it this time, and then he was a little bit embarrassed afterwards, saying that um, just basically rhyming off everyone else that he thought <laughs> played better than him. And you know, he mentioned Henry Spade who had a great game. Um, it was him that. Henry Spate won the turnover that eventually ended in his own try, a big carry in between there as well. So it's good to see from him, I thought, having came out in the way you can say that he hadn't been particularly happy with his form, mm. especially coming back off the injury. Um, so to see him produce a big performance like that will have been good. I thought, to be honest, I thought Henderson was probably the best player um, on the pitch. I just thought he was unreal again. Um, he's really... You can see him when he comes back in from Ireland duty and he doesn't really miss a beat because for me he's always a player that um, builds himself up to his peak level and then he sustains it as long as he can as long as you can keep playing Henderson once he hits top level, you know, it's it's like mm-hmm. a car in fifth gear, you know, he just he keeps he keeps going mm-hmm. and he's really done that. Um I, I wanna back in. I wanna talk about a couple of players. The first one is Eric O'Sullivan. I mean, for a 23-year-old prop who hadn't played a game of senior rugby before the start of the season, to go 80 minutes in only his third European appearance uh, in the Parky Scarlets against Sampson Lee, an international tight head prop, to make 22 tackles, be extremely busy around the park, and to dominate in a scrum was absolutely outstanding. Whenever... Uh, Andy Warwick went down injured last week there were so many questions over how else you're going to manage this Cal McCall hasn't played a, game, a senior game all season because of injury you know how, how are they going to cope is it time for Skulk is it, was it time for Skulk <laughs> what a time mm. it would have been but no look all, cre- all credit to Eric O'Sullivan he put in a phenomenal shift to play 80 minutes uh, and to perform as well as he did even right at the very end was Outstanding! Mm. I th- I was surprised that uh, he wasn't man of the match because I I thought he had a brilliant game. But one guy who who hasn't been mentioned really at all for me is Louis Ludic, and Will Addison mentioned him in post match and said just how reassuring it is to have him at fullback. And I'm sure that's nothing against Mike Lowry, who um, is going to be a sensational player. But I think just having that. Experience and that defensive know-how at fullback from Louis Ludic uh, must be such a such a confidence booster for the guys to go and try and make those tackles, knowing that okay, if, if you miss one, Louis sweeping in behind, he's going to make that tackle. And that tackle that he made with uh, Henry Spate, I think it was with about four minutes left to go, right down in the corner. Mm-hmm. That was a try saver. That that yeah, uh, prevents it from being a very nervy final four minutes as opposed mm-hmm. to having to play well into overtime to win that game. Just I, I thought Ludic has been brilliant since coming back, especially since he's coming back from such a long-term injury as well. It was a nervy time for all of us for that last try because <laughs> the Scarlet scoreboard flashed up saying 25-25 after that conversion <laughs> what have I missed and quite frankly I nearly had a heart attack <laughs> because I was going to have to rewrite everything because I didn't know where this point that I had missed I like to take them to fix it yeah. it was only about five seconds but it felt but like still, an eternity um, it was it's like, it's like, you leant over to me and said 
scoreboard said 25-25. And I was like, no, it didn't. Like, games like that. I know I like to complain about these things. Games like that where you don't know the uh, result right up until the 84th minute are bad enough to write match reports. That's an extra um, three years off your life yeah. in those five when seconds. You, when you have that five-second period where you think you somehow <laughs> miscounted somewhere. <laughs> uh. What about Henry Spate? You did mention him briefly earlier, but he had said last week, he sort of talked himself into that performance, didn't yeah. he? Like at, at the interview last week, he had sort of been like, right, no, I'm, I'm honestly, guys, I'm better than this and I'm going to prove it to you yeah, in the next few weeks. Finally, like, it's he's, here. He's, he's, I find him quite good to injury because um, I think we've interviewed him three times and he's always been quite, um, he's quite open, he's quite honest. And um, he sort of sat down and said, basically, I don't think I've been playing very well since coming back from the injury. And it's been really disappointing for him because he wanted to make that big impact. Mm-hmm. And especially when you know you're only going to be here for whatever it is, 15 games, and then you end up missing four or five through an injury. And then it takes you a few weeks to get back up to speed. And for him to probably show the kind of performance that people are expecting from him, like he's, when he has played, he's got through a lot of work. Like you've seen, um, you know, his stats have all been quite good, but there was maybe just that impression that there was more from him to give and probably defensively as well. I mean, as Adam mentioned, he's involved in that big tackle. He gets the try, and I sort of mentioned it before there, but the fact that he it was him winning that turnover um, at the breakdown, they gave Ulster the ball back, that eventually, a couple of minutes later, ended up with him scoring that try, was a good, um, good sort of example of how involved he was in the game without you know, just focusing on the fact that he obviously scored a try. Mm-hmm. What about uh, Marcel as well? Um, he had said in his interview earlier that a dog could have scored his try. And I think he's talking about my dog because his ball skills are absolutely <laughs> impeccable. He 100% would have scored that try. But nonetheless, uh, Marcel was one of the, the four players that Michael had given a nine to in the match rating. Um, good performance. I, uh, well, I've, I've copped a bit of flack on Twitter from uh, our good friend Donald <laughs> for criticising Kutzea last week. I, I did you criticise Kutsia last week? Well, this is the thing. I, think I did not. I think there was a big debate on, on Twitter whether you criticised well, or not. What, okay. what I said last week was... Sorry, I, I missed Twitter today, so I didn't see this. What I said last week was, Kutsia is not the player that Ulster signed him to be. That is not a criticism on his performances. That's a criticism on how he plays. Because Ulster signed him based on how he played for the Springboks, which was big, abrasive ball carrier that plays six or eight. Um... Now he has turned into a good ball carrier who suddenly has a lot to offer at the breakdown. So while he leads the team in carries, I don't put a lot of uh, merit into carry stats because I could lead the team in carries if they passed it to me every other time. So That's a big claim. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> that is a big Monday afternoon shout. <laughs> well, it's true. If, I don't, if, I don't. If the, coach, if, if the coach asked them to throw the ball to me every other time, I would, I would leave the team every other time. I would, I would end the season on about like yeah. minus 200 <laughs> metres if the threw I, the ball to me. I think be driven back every the, time. The main thing would be how many of these carries do we think Adam would last before he was like bandaged <laughs> up on the sideline? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's maybe a better one to go with. I'm probably showing my age here, but I can't really remember what we did last week. Did What, what did I say in response to these Kutsia criticisms? 
Because I like, I think no, no, I think he's been fantastic. Donald said that Jonathan, twenty three minutes into last week's episode, <laughs> Donald's very detailed. Uh, he says that you stressed that Marcel's game has changed and that he had a very good game. Because well, this is the level of detail that I need. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad that somebody's provided us. No, I think because um, I Marcel was up at the press conference today, and I sort of asked him about it. You know, you were signed, and the highlight were you know the highlights that we'd seen of you, the games that we'd seen you play for South Africa, watching a bit um, of the Sharks. We expected this big ball carrier, and then that's what we got um, for those five. Five games that he played. Um, looking at Adam for confirmation of my stats, as I quite frequently do. <laughs> <laughs> Those five games that he played um, early. But I think what we've seen, and we saw it in the Cardiff game with that big turnover before the try. We saw it again on Friday with his work at the breakdown. Is he's just been he re- like he really has been unreal. I think at the breakdown, just so many turnovers. And for me, the big surprise of the season really has been Katsia not his performances because we know he's a good player it's been interesting as Adam noted there to watch how his game has evolved from what we maybe expected no less effective but just different and that that's like that's a good point that Adam makes but just in a wider sense to see him be able to play this much rugby after two years mm-hmm. out like it really has. It's it's been very good to see because it was obviously so t- must have been so tough for him to be out for those two years, and especially when you're coming into a new club, and you know you're getting a substantial paycheck, and you're not able to show um, show the fans wh- why you're there. And he's talked about how it took an effect or it took a toll on him mentally. Yeah. And you've got mm. to bear in mind that whenever he picked up that second injury, it would have been so easy for Ulster just to say, look. We're gonna have missed, you know. You've missed two years of your three-year contract. Look, for the sake of both of us, let's just call it a day. You head back to South Africa and continue your career, your career there, and we'll find someone else. It would have been so easy mm. to say that because I think he expected that. Like he was back, he yeah. was he was back in South Africa, and he got a phone call. Looked at his phone, it was Les Kiss, and he thought this could be it. <laughs> mm. And instead, Les was like, "Look, we're gonna honor your contract," and he said. Um, since then, that he's not sure how many teams would have honoured that contract because mm-hmm, obviously, yeah. you know, Ulster have taken a big financial hit on those yeah. two years of having this import, and it's obviously, you know, as we said last week, it probably doesn't help when Nick Williams at thirty-five is still tearing it up for Cardiff. <laughs> you know, I I still stand by what I said last week. Kutsia is an outstanding player. He has been outstanding for Ulster. The fact that he is leading the team in all those stats just shows how important he's been, the input that he's uh, had to the team and the work rate that he goes through, particularly having come back from the injury and particularly uh, the amount of minutes he's going through. But I also stand by the fact that I still think Ulster need a big ball carrier who makes those gut-busting bursts through, you know, handing off guys. And, you know, maybe he doesn't carry as much as Kutsia does, but makes a bigger impact when he does carry. Oh, 100%. I think what, um, like, th- that point is bang on. I think that's, I would go along with that completely. But, and I don't think that you were saying that as a negative towards Kutsia. No, I was Because I don't think it is not. a Kutsia, but you probably need a, uh, you know, you almost need a CJ Stander to mm-hmm. your Peter O'Mahony. Yeah. Um, with Jordy Murphy being your, whoever. 
um, Jordy Murphy. Dan Lee. Well, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say yes. I was going to say your Dan, your Dan Levy, or your George Van der Fleur, but Jordy Murphy would say to your Jordy Murphy, I suppose. Yeah. Um, Let's talk a little bit then. Adam wrote the introduction this week. Thank you, Adam. Very, very well written. Couldn't have done a better job myself. We had mentioned that there was a hoodoo broken in the process at the weekend. What was what was just to, to detail that? This was the first time Johnny and I had both been to an away win. <laughs> I thought it was something like important about like match <laughs> no! statistics or something. I was going to was first first winning party Scarlets in well, six that's years. Well, that's that's also true. It was the first winning party Scarlets in six years. But no, Johnny and I is the first yeah, time we've been to an away win. It was something more than that. That's yeah, uh, that's, that's not, not true, what I was though, expecting because we were both at Oyana away. No, that's, that's what I was going to say, since Oyana oh, right, right, in 2015, I thought, I thought which was my ever. first away trip. So, which so it's the first away trip you've been on together in three years. This is the worst broken hoodoo I've ever heard in my life. But you, it's a, you know, been no, a good hook. Everyone will have been wondering for yeah. the first half hour, what's this hoodoo about? Well, it's, it's Ulster's <laughs> first win in Party Scarlets in six years. What I find in, find interesting looking at the team sheet from that day, the only player that started that game six years ago that started on Friday night was Ian Henderson. Really, for either team or just for Ulster? Just for Ulster. I didn't look at Scarsy. Oh, for goodness. Uh, <laughs> uh, Who cares about that? Be- Best was on the bench, and Cave started but was on the bench on Friday. But Henderson was the only one who played in that uh, in that game six years ago. Yeah, fantastic. Um, if you want a, d- a different who do. I mm-hmm. find this interesting. That's Marty, the first time Marty Moore has ever won in Parky's Cards. Really? Yep. There you are. Well, okay, we'll we'll adopt that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just now disappointed the, you didn't uh, care that our hoodoo was over. We've Ma- talked about it enough. <laughs> Marty Moore provided that stat rather than me going through his oh, well, fair play. career oh. of performances at Parky's Cards, just in case anyone thought that was a strange thing for me to be doing with my time. <laughs> well, he obviously yeah, you wanted could, to be You could also go through is. a lot of other people like Marcel and <laughs> their first win, Parky's Cards. It's his second game there, so yeah. Fair play. This week then, um, hopefully none of the Scarlets players will be getting their first win at Kingspan Stadium because it is, of course, the return match this weekend. When is it? Friday. I, is it Friday? I thought it was Friday, but I wasn't sure. 7 what? 7.45. 7.45. Yeah, see, that throws me off. that just the European thing? Yeah. Oh, that right. throws me off. Throws me off. I, I need Don't those like 10 it. minutes at the end of the day, look. <laughs> Um, what about team news? We've obviously uh, just had the press conference, which we're still sitting at. I'm sitting in the players' chair, which is <laughs> very important. With the sponsor boys behind me, it's making me feel like I'm being interviewed, although I'm interviewing news. So, what's team news? Uh, Ian Nagel um, is the doubt. Well, here, we got to the bottom of the, of the thing, just for people who don't follow you on Twitter and hadn't seen that. Oh, yeah, of yeah, the European yeah. squad. Ian Nagel was um, picked up an injury in training, so that's why he was not registered. Um, just in case you're not also reading the paper why, why would you be listening to this not reading the paper or following me on Twitter <laughs> <laughs> just, just <laughs> if this just was like your, your only um, outlet for Ulster news well just in case alright just, just go I just on, wanted to cover that just, just go on week to week so um, <laughs> he will be registered if he is fit because Alan O'Connor is still out so Alan O'Connor is missing this game and maybe a few more um, after that as well so you could do with Ian Nagel just to come on the bench. We saw Matty Ray. Um, Matty Ray was covering um, covering Log on the bench but didn't come on. Dan, Dan McFarland only used four of his subs. And Sean Reedy is going through the return to play protocols so he's neither in nor out at the minute. Hmm. So so he he may play this weekend? Yeah, he hasn't. Oh, he, I thought he was definitely out. No, he, he, he hasn't been ruled out. All right, okay. 
So what do we think in terms of the squad? We can throw in a listener question from Rugby Zealot on Twitter. Have Ulster shot themselves in the foot by not using the bench more last week, as you just mentioned? Uh, can last week's team physically keep that work rate up for a second week in a row? I think they're going lighter in training mm. this week, probably with a nod to the physical exertions of last weekend. Yeah. So they're only going to have two... Uh, two sessions, I think, video review day off, um, and two sessions building into building into Friday. I think it's a funny one, like because it's funny how quickly people have become accustomed to just seeing all eight subs used. Because mm-hmm. like you go back to twenty twelve, Mark Mark Anscombe never used any of his subs. <laughs> like they they might have unused uh, replacements in that twenty twelve run to the uh, Heineken Cup final is unreal. Um, so are, the 20, so the are a few, so are a few of the benches. The twenty twelve <laughs> quarterfinal is still the only game I think I've ever seen where Ulster have used none of their bench, and it is probably the most lung busting game I have ever seen Ulster play, or one of them. Didn't use any. Didn't use any of their subs. Are you anyway. sure? Yes. Anyway, that is a hundred percent something I, I've yeah. never seen a game where any rugby team's not done that. But it, so you're not really expecting there to be too many players that that can't start this week just due to. No, I don't think so. Um, maybe if Sean Weedy is a doubt at this stage, maybe you see Timoney come in. Timoney did really well off the bench. Mm. Um, I don't think you would change that that much else. I think the could we see the same team. It's possible. It's been a while, I think, since we've seen the yeah, same yeah. team back to back. That uh, definitely hasn't happened this season. Yeah. Well, I, I, th- I think that could go back a long time. <laughs> might think, do. As Johnny says, I think if Sean Reedy's a doubt at this stage of the week, Tim- Timothy's no bad operator in that back row. So you might see him come in and really named on the bench if he plays, mm-hmm. uh, simply as a case of the fresher man being brought in. So it's, it's something like that. I don't. I don't think we'll see exactly the same team. I think we will see one change, but pretty much the same team. I think we'll mm. go again. The knock There'll on, be no the worry, knock on, as you say, about bringing Timoney in. You're not really no, dropping no, quality no, there no. at all, really. The knock-on that you might see then goes into the monster game, because the monsters, monster yeah. games may be the intro that you would really target as saying... I know people hate whenever somebody uses the word target a win, but when you're, <laughs> when you're looking at the team selections, the monster is the one, because it's at home, that you would mm-hmm. probably... Um, expect to have seen the best team in. Mm. So you're playing Ulster or Monster with a weakened team. So you're, what's the worst <laughs> <you can have? laughs> Um, another listener question then that uh, can lead us through the preview to this match very neatly from Sean Caskey asks: How do we make sure that we do not do what we did against Northampton a few years ago? and follow a glorious win with a drab home defeat? It's funny, like because the Northampton one. I think I even said and then, like. My on the whistle match report, like I mentioned that Northampton one, where it was like that just seems like the the obvious comparison because it's such a high of winning away mm. in a game that you didn't expect to win, and then I think people just go do go back to that Northampton one because going in Ulster had won thirteen games in a row, and um, like a win really would have people just expected them to keep that winning run going. Like you talk to some of the players um, from that time and that's been a different feeling to any other that they've had in an Ulster shirt because they just expected to win every time they took the field in that early part of the season. It's that saying, don't get too high with the highs and don't get mm. too low with the lows. 
you can't let last week suddenly become uh, this awesome feeling that lets you take your eye off the ball. You have to absolutely enjoy the win. Like, I'm not saying just go right. We won. Move on. You know, enjoy what you've done. But then, whenever it comes to Monday, do your review. Put that behind you. You're working towards the next game. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the key for Ulster, you know. Don't don't let fri- last Friday get into your heads and think we're coming up against these guys. They have nothing to play for. We have everything to play for. This should be a walkover. It's absolutely not going to be that. The Scarlets have pride to play for, which yeah, I think I heard, I heard an interview with the coach after the game there where he's pretty much like, "We're going to have to do them next <laughs> yeah. time." Well, that's a, that's, like... a, that's basically it. If you get your nose bloodied at home, you want to go and bloody their nose back at their place because you don't want people's lasting impression of the Scarlets to be the team that got turned over twice by Ulster in the double headers, especially whenever you have sort of that Pro 14 rivalry as well. I think that plays in quite a bit as well. But yeah, for, for Ulster, they've just got to get back down to earth, get back to work this week and approach it pretty much with a clean slate and say, look, we're coming up against the Scarlets, a team that ran us all the way at home in the league, ran us all the way last week. Um, we've got to put in an 80-minute performance from every single guy on that pitch. Considering Ulster's performances when they have their Irish internationals going over the last couple of seasons we've been doing this podcast, I mean, I know I only asked the questions, don't give an opinion, but like, they're a bloody good team with the Irish internationals and therefore I, I can't see them struggling this week. It was it was funny because once that team was named on Thursday afternoon, I think you could sense a sort of perceptible shift in people's um, opinion on how the match was going to go. Like I think it was uh, Stephen Ferris tweeted about it. Of you know when you see that first fifteen, forget about the bench, but when you see that first fifteen, that looks like a good team. Absolutely. And I think Marty Murr and Jordy Murphy have certainly change that because you throw in two yeah. um, international experience forwards into that group. Kieran Treadwell is, um, is somebody that's really come back into form since that mm-hmm. racing game. And all of a sudden, when everybody's there, um, obviously Eric O'Sullivan's the one that people probably don't know too much about, and then he goes and has arguably as good a game as anyone. But that, to me, and I think to a lot of other people, looks like a Champions Cup quality pack yeah and you can see the difference that that made and when they have all of those players obviously available again this week um five points really is uh would be would we be expecting five points would we say don't very don't much it very for me it very much depends on i suppose the scarlet's team that comes over they've got um as you know they much like ulster they've got three derbies and Europe's gone for them, so if they maybe do look to rotate some of those bigger name players, keep their powder dry for the derbies. You know, when Ulster and other teams have to rest a few players over Christmas, they could be sat going into the fifth round of Europe, out of Europe, which they are anyway. But they could be fifteen points clear of the teams that are chasing them in the Pro Fourteen mm-hmm. if if they get get it right for the derbies. You know, so that's going to be a big thing I think for Wayne Pivac to decide because I. As Adam said there, you know, in his interview afterwards, he was very clear that they wanted to 
forget about what I was going to do in the pool. They wanted the exact measure of revenge, essentially, for what Ulster had done to them. Like, Scarlets, to me, all season have looked a bit, probably a bit off-colour from the very high standards that we've seen from them the past two years because mm-hmm. they didn't win anything last year, but it's easy to forget that the reason that they didn't win anything last year was because they had the misfortune of coming up against um, Leinster in two games, um, a final and a semi-final. So I think you just take, you know, you take John Barkley out of that team, you take Byrne out of that team, um, Shingler's been missing the whole season, um, James Davies came back into this game. They don't, to me, quite look like the team that they have been two years ago, but I was saying this to Adam after the game, you still see these real glimpses of just how good a team they are and just how threatening a team they are. And their skill set is so high. Like you see, you know, guys like Ken Owens spiraling the ball out to the wing and you know, that's how they put such width on the ball, how they're such an expansive team. They were like they weren't good on Friday, but there were still moments in that game where they were just fantastic to watch. For for all the talk we've had of Will Addison, Jonathan Davies was exceptional Super. at 13 for them. I thought I thought in terms of the battle of the 13s, it was outstanding from both players. Um, he just has the ability to make something out of nothing. Um, and I thought by a very, very long way, he was their best player on the night. He, he was brilliant. The big miss for them, interestingly, I thought was actually Jake Ball, um, who we thought would play. Who we thought would play, but didn't quite didn't quite um, get past in time. And I think it would have been a really good battle between him and Henderson because Henderson really mm-hmm. ended up bossing that, uh, bossing those exchanges yeah. in the type. At the end of the day, I think Wayne Pivak would happily take a loss this week if it meant they won their three festive games. Yeah. So I, I think in in terms of weighing up wanting to exact revenge on Ulster and taking three wins from three in the Pro 14, he'd happily take the wins mm. in the Pro and 14. And maybe after a few days, like, rather than just giving the interview after yeah, the game, yeah, yeah. Might, yeah. Have, might be looking yeah. at it with his head rather than, rather than heart a little bit more. So, uh, well, let's hear a little bit, before we talk about just the implications in the Champions Cup table, let's hear a little bit from Dan McFarland as he looks uh, ahead to welcoming Scarlets to Kingspan Stadium in front of the Ulster supporters. When when you win away from home in in round three, it's uh, there's there's a number of things that are that, that we have to be careful of. Um, the first thing is is the understanding that um, uh, a great fan base and uh, a great stadium does not win a rugby match for you. Um, that's that's the first thing. Um, and then the second thing is uh, is, is is understanding that uh, you know that Scarlets are a really good side and, and they'll be hurting after losing at home. Um, so we expect them to come and, 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 and to be dangerous, um, and we've got to prepare accordingly. Um, it was interesting, there were five away victories last weekend. So winning, winning at home is, is not a given right. So in terms of the Champions Cup pool then, uh, Racing obviously are ahead on 14 points. Ulster are on nine, Leicester six, and Scarlets down on two. That's with three games of the pool left to play. Uh, obviously the five, Group winners go through and three of the five runners-up. So what are the sort of implications for Ulster at this stage? Do we know sort of what, the, what they're looking for in terms of the other the other game uh, in the pool this weekend even? Uh, I think like Dan McFarlane gave a pretty short shrift to the idea that um, they'd have any eyes on what was happening elsewhere rather than just taking care of their own, um, their own business. To me, I think... 
personally that you're better off if Racing streak away and um, win the group ideally before they come here and Leicester are out of it before Ulster go there. But well, I do not think Ulster could top the group. They, they could they could beat Scarlet at home. They could beat Racing at home. Could they not beat Leicester away at the minute? But somebody... Well, they, no, they absolutely could, but mm. somebody would then... You probably get an end of bonus points, which Racing have done. Yeah, that's um, true. So I still think Racing would have the edge just on what they've... They might have tried bonuses mm. that they've been able to notch already. And to be honest, as much as we praised Ulster for their performance on Friday, Racing are still a better team. So I think you would want some of that traditional French... Um, travel malaise to have seeped in by the time um, they're coming here which Mm -hmm. is really only going to be the case if they've won four games not dissimilar to what we saw maybe with La Rochelle last year Um, I think it won three, had they won the first three? Yeah. Uh, And then lost to Wasp but um, really had sort of oh, we're already in control of the group um, by the time they come here and I think that's you want to see a similar thing similar thing again the difference being that in round 6 whereas Wasp still had a level of interest yeah. um, ideally you would like Leicester to have no interest and especially mm-hmm. some of the with the amount of England internationals that Leicester have as much as they haven't been going well this year you'd want a few of them boys to have one eye on the Six Nations which by then is only going to be two weeks away the, the other difference is Racing are not typical of other French sides. They do care a lot more about Europe than other French teams seem to do. So I don't think you'll get that sort of French travel malaise that you think mm-hmm. you will. I think they, they do tend to travel in Europe a lot better than other teams. I think they've got an obsession with Europe. Jackie, yeah. La- Jackie Lawrence Eddie especially has an obsession with having his side be the best team in Europe. Mm-hmm. You know They've lost two finals now. And it's really something, you know. They didn't. They probably didn't sign players like Dan Carter to win the top fourteen. Obviously, it was nice to win the top <laughs> fourteen, but um, Europe is the competition. I think more than any mm. others that they want, and that sounds obvious. But you know, you look at a team like Cast. Cast have only really started to take an interest in Europe this season, given that they won the top fourteen last year. Like you, you do get so many French teams who put more of an emphasis on winning domestically mm. should have said that Ian Frizzell had asked the question about uh, what sort of result we would like at Welford Road this weekend so that's that discussed uh, just sort of a point of interest um, the two of the other runners up at the minute are in 10 points two on 8 and Ulster in the middle on 9 so it's, like, it's a real toss up at the minute as to whether they would even get one of the the runners up spots to progress but mm. like, I, th- we'll I think see. like I think if Ulster win the last three games, like you're not going to go out having won five oh, yeah. games. If you're you in the last three games, and yeah, if you're you looking at them, you know two of them are at home, Leicester away, who may or may not have anything to play for. Like it's just been sort of equated, you know, these back to backs to like moving day at a major, where it's just everything becomes so much clearer after this, and the shift in Ulster's quarterfinal prospects from Friday morning to Friday night just unbelievable but they obviously shift straight back if um, they don't do the business here back at home because yeah. one win apiece was probably what you expected mm-hmm. um, if anyone was going to win two you would have thought it would be the Scarlets but thanks to that performance on Friday Ulster in a position where if they win on Friday 
they've got a great chance yeah. because they've got a home game and then an away game against a possibly disinterested side and a side that have had some bad bad performances. I thought they were decent enough despite the yellow cards on Sunday, Leicester, but you know they're coming off the back of a really, really bad uh, Premiership performance. Well, before we get into the listener questions uh, proper, although we have discussed a few so far, Shalk van der Merwe is gone um, and about an hour after we finished recording last week and then I had to record that we depressed 10 seconds at the start and we saying, I've ruined it again, Just, we'll talk about it next week. So, how did, uh, how did this, this departure come about? I think if you look at an awful lot of Ulster's business over the last maybe year or so, an awful lot of it has been geared to trimming the wage bill. Mm-hmm. And... If you're looking at a player that's in a year and a half played 118 minutes, but as an mm. import taking a substantial enough wage, then obviously <laughs> that's an easy way to save money. Yeah. You know, to get rid of players like that. Obviously, you still have to pay a degree of that um, yeah. contract off, and it's a negotiating process, I suppose. But um, it just didn't like it didn't work the whole way through. It wasn't working, and. Unfortunately for him, he's gonna go down in the in the annals as one of those mm. one of those signings. Yeah, just thinking back to that listener question we got maybe like two months ago, where I can't remember who it was that like listed a few players and be like, "Can we not just make them leave?" <laughs> and I think they're all gone yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> Despite us being like, "Well, you can't really do that," also sort of have. Yeah. Well, I think they've taken a financial hit um, in the short term to save them yeah, a bit absolutely. of money in the long term it's not like these boys have uh, oh, no, they're not just walked away <laughs> decided to be like do you know what alright we'll see you later <laughs> bye bye now <laughs> the good of the club top guys um, listener questions then uh, who do we have first we have Dave Blair who asks can we have some analysis of the improved set piece from last weekend what has changed uh, and why did it take so long to find these solutions Marnie Murray doing the belly flop was a good uh, was a good piece of uh, <laughs> set piece play Man- managing to win a penalty out of that yeah. was, was genius <laughs> well that's, that's what I'm saying that's, a, that's the best piece of front row play I've seen in a long time if you're winning penalties for yeah. that you may do it every week <laughs> no um, we asked Marty Murray we asked Marty Murray Anton about this um, at the presser today and Marty Murray was like obviously he's not going to say well, we started doing this, and this has really changed everything. <laughs> so if you're watching any footage of us and need to know what we're up to now, this is it. But he said, look, it's not that we've reinvented the wheel or anything. It's just, um, one, players like Ian Henderson and Rory Best coming back in. You know, you can see the difference that's made in them all and things the last couple of weeks. Um, but he said it's just... It, it has been a matter of just getting those combinations right and it takes time and people maybe don't understand how much time it takes. But I suppose when you have Dan McFarland coming in late to um, in the pre-season, so you don't have a real recognised forwards coach in pre-season. Obviously Simon Easterby, Ireland's forwards coach, was up taking um, some sessions and Aaron Dundon had to step up and do a bit more as well there but you know Dan uh, it's about to use the, uh, the unfortunate rhyme of Dan is the man in this regard when it comes to um, looking at these aspects of the game and then Marty Murr coming in as well Eric O'Sullivan obviously hadn't played before yeah. and I think I think that's something quite big that people don't actually realise there is a lot of 
having to work out what the rest of your front row does yeah. as a new player. And whenever you throw in Eric O'Sullivan, who's never played at senior level before, you throw in Adam McBurney at Hooker, who's played quite a lot um, in the middle. You've got Marty Murr, who's a new signing. You've got Tom O'Toole, who hasn't played that much with Ulster. There are a lot of new moving parts in that front row that have to... You've got to give them time to click. You've got to give them time to work out how the other goes. If you're driving on the left-hand side am I, or on the loose head, am I going to just sort of keep the tight head solid or am I going to drive and you're going to keep it solid? There's a, there's a lot in the front row that you do actually have to work out. It's not just a case of, right, I'm going to put my arm around you and we're going to push as hard as we can. There is quite a technical side to it. So um, I, I think you've just seen you know, Ulster have finally got, got that front row to click. Um, Can we expect it, it to be a bit of a watershed moment, do you think? Like, is this, is this it for now? I think, is this, is like, done? I, th- I think it's really important because you can see the difference that it makes. Like, Ulster mm. won that game against Cardiff with their mall. You can see them all again on Friday, how important that was. Like, Roy mm. Best breaking off the mall like a, like a 26-year-old rather than a 36-year-old <laughs> and ma- making ground that way. And you think back to the Connacht game here that Ulster lost... And the difference, essentially, in those games is just having that set pace. Like, mm-hmm. speaking to Will Addison after the game, and he was like, that's oxygen for us. Mm-hmm. When our pack can go out and win penalties like that, it lifts everyone. It makes yeah. life so much easier. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you can see the importance of it. The, as you guys have both mentioned already, like the personnel <laughs> issue of yeah. you're not far away from Ian Henderson and Roy Best and others departing again for the Six Nations. You know, I saw a thing saying the Six Nations starts in eight weeks. Um, and I couldn't get over it. Like, we're eight weeks away from the Six Nations, which is wild. Um, so you're going to be losing those boys again. And it's about, I suppose, at that stage, you're really hoping that it's the concepts in training that have brought about this change rather than just... It mm. being as simple as we've got our better players out, but yeah, and time will tell. Come come Six Nations time, I suppose. Um, a question on the the lineup then. Um, Patrick Logan asked, "Do we think it's time for Johnny McPhillips to be given a bit more of a run?" I think this was a funny one because certainly whenever we were recording the podcast last week, I expected Johnny McPhillips to start this week, mm-hmm. and then I think whenever the team came out. Certainly that was the question mark for a lot of people on social media anyway of just um, why um, John Phillips hadn't got the nod because we thought Billy Billy Burns was obviously will have had to pass through the return to plays mm-hmm. but um, then obviously Ulster got another their best performance of the season so one, probably one not going to change it this week <laughs> one, of the, one of the things is Billy Burns has come in for a lot of criticism and I don't I'll, I'll be the first to say I don't think he's been the player that a lot of people thought he was going to be and he has admitted that he hasn't quite hit the straps that he hoped he would but at the same time he's in the team for a reason you know the the coach he's not an Ireland player that the coaches are being instructed to play if he's not performing to the standards that they want they will drop him because they've got Johnny McPhillips in reserve who mm. has proven himself to be a good option at 10 so he's clearly doing something that the coaches like to continue being selected week on week. I thought Friday night was his best performance in an Ulster jersey so far. Now, that's not to say he was 
great. I thought he did the basics well. I thought he ran the back line quite well. Um, I still think he has a lot more to offer, but I thought it was at least his best performance so far since joining Ulster, and I think that's a good platform for him to build off. Yeah, fair. Um, we'll keep rattling on. South Wales URSC are our friends across the water who were very pleased that the Ulster players had um, recognised the travelling support this week. Uh, they ask if this is close to a first eleven. We had mentioned it earlier. Mm-hmm. When does Gilroy come back? Uh, yeah. in place he's, not, a, he's not going to get into a first 11 because um, oh, 15 did I say 11? <laughs> yeah, there's 15. yeah you did Sorry. say 11 <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> well, when he comes in he'll be wearing 14 so on the bench then yeah um, as Johnny said my number when I played football <laughs> <laughs> I was on the bench oh, I, was I used to wear 14 because of David yeah. you know that yeah, anyway, uh, as as Johnny said, I, I think that was as close to a first 15 as we've seen from Ulster this year. You're probably looking at adding Alan O'Connor back into the mix, Andy Warwick, loose head. Um, he, well, after the way Eric O'Sullivan played, that'd probably be on the bench. Um, and then probably Gil, Gilroy in that back line. But apart from that, there's not... There's probably someone very obvious I'm forgetting, by the way. Like, no, like, I think it, but, I think it's Gilroy, and like we don't know exactly when Gilly's going to get back, but um, you know, Spade's only here for a few games more anyway. Yeah. And then the other thing to remember is it's obviously it's skewed a wee bit by Marcel missing so much time, Jackson holding um, Jared Payne. Um, but the fact of the matter is, by my calculations anyway, Ulster haven't had their first 15 available since the Saracens quarterfinal. So, that's just a few weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we, we like to talk about notional first 15s, but we never actually see them play mm-hmm. together because somebody is always constantly injured. Yeah. Well, you mentioned it there. Uh, Spate's only here for an extra few weeks. Anthony English wants to know, is there any chance that that few weeks could be extended until the end of the season? No. um, There's not the same question mark there was over Leila Fano last year, so there's not? I just think contractually, like Leila Fano obviously only had one year left on his deal at the time. um, And I suppose we knew that Ulster were in the market for another 10, so there was talk of whether they could funnel the funds that would have been for Stephen Donald and ended up not being for anyone Mm -hmm. towards um, buying out the last year of Leo Fano's contract, where um, in terms of the budget, you don't have that same, I suppose, money earmarked for something else. Like Spate, essentially, was brought in because Ludic was going to be injured. And... Stockdale was mm-hmm. going to miss the start of the season, so you were going to be really short of back three players with Trimble and Bow and Piatai all leaving. So with Ludic back, you know, I just don't, I can't see them really going to the expense that it would cost. Mm. And at, at the at the end of the day, you know, he's contracted to the Brumbies. The, the Brumbies would have to say yes mm. for him to go. And at the moment, he's still actually quite an important player for them because. You look at who they've got in the back three, and Spate is one of their top players. So well, it's it's very unlikely that they'd even say yes. Will Gilroy be back for Spate leaving? Will there really be any sort of I in-between think time? whenever he was last speaking, he didn't think that he was going to be out for too much longer. So I think, okay. yeah. Fingers crossed then. Okay, well that's it for the listener questions this week. Thank you very much for sending them all in. Please do uh, keep them coming for next week's episode. But for now, we have Adam's 
just give him a chance to swallow his little mouthful of coke and deliver the club roundup. <laughs> Thank you, Gareth. Um, <laughs> in Division 1B, Ballymena picked up a huge win over Ballymena Hinch. They won 18-10 at Eaton Park. Malone suffered a surprise 16-12 loss to Old Wesley at home at Gibson Park. St Mary's are now the leaders in Division 1B after they defeated Banbridge 28-7 down in Dublin. And City of Armagh, City of Armagh did a massive favour to the other Ulster clubs. They beat Nace 18-11. So it's very tight at the top. St Mary's are top on 25 points. Malone are second on 23. City of Armagh are now up to fourth on 21. Nace are third. While Banbridge and Balnahinch are both on 20. Uh, down at the bottom, Ballymena are now level with Buccaneers, uh, tied at the bottom on 14 points. In Division 2A, Queen's lost 13-19 to Cashel at the dub. That drops them down to 5th on 19 points, which is 17 points behind leaders Highfield. They're having a great season so far. In Division 2B, Rainey continued their revival. They picked up a 41-6 win away to Sunday's well. Dungannon lost heartbreakingly to Greystones 2017. Uh, they were up for a long time in that one, and then Greystones came back. They're the league leaders for a reason. Uh, and Belfast Harlequins also conceded a very late try to draw 10-10 with Scaries at Derrimore Park. So those results take Rainey up to third on 22 points, but as I said, they are 15 points behind leaders Greystones, while Belfast Harlequins and Dungannon are 8th and 9th respectively on 13 and 11 points. In Division 2C, Oma defeated Seapoint 34-5, Ballina beat Bangor 14-12, and City of Derry lost 36-7 away at Middleton. That means Oma stay 4th on 25 points, that's 7 points behind leaders Ballina. Bangor are in 5th on 21, City of Derry dropped to 8th on 13 points, but they're still 6 points ahead of bottom side Tomond. And in the Women's All-Ireland League, Cook lost their second game in a row to Blackrock, this time 22-12 at Shaw's Bridge, to drop them to 5th on 15 points, 11 points behind leaders Railway Union. So looking ahead to this week, in Division 1B we've got two Ulster derbies. Balna Hitch play host to Malone. City of Armagh are away at Bambridge, while Ballymena head to Buccaneers. In Division 2A, Queens are on the road to Dolphin. In Division 2B, we've got another Ulster derby with Rainey taking on Dungannon, and Belfast Harlequins are away to Sligo. In Division 2C, another Ulster derby, Bangor host Oma, while City of Derry are at home to Ballina. In the Women's All-Ireland League, Cook play Railway Union at half past three on Saturday. That's Cook at home to the league leaders. While the Danske Bank Skills Cup finally gets underway this weekend, it's the first round Antrim Grammar take on Carrick Fergus Grammar, whilst Jurban Academy welcome Wellington College. It's all not really going to plan in 1B anymore, is it? St Mary's going top, <laughs> Nias are third. It was all, all of a sudden they're yeah, well, 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 in the top three. Yeah. Uh, Disappointing result for Malone, getting turned over at home. Yeah, I think it's going to be a huge game this week, obviously, with um, Malone, Ball and Hinch. Um, I think you could sort of look at that and think it was going to be a big one for a while. Um, going into the break, especially, as teams will want to end on a high going into what's a good few weeks off from mm-hmm. all our league action. Yeah. So, huge, um, huge Ulster derby Ta- this week, Luke. 
talk a bit about Balmina's revival. I mean, for a while there, it was looking like they were going to have a really long season. They were having some really poor results, and they just weren't finding any consistency. But I think they've been really helped by getting guys like Clive Ross and John Andrew from the Ulster setup. You know, I think that's really added a bit of quality to that team, and I think it's really helped them pick up some good results over the last couple of weeks. It'd be great to see them fight back because I know the great work that Andy Graham does up there. Uh, it would be really good to see them find a bit of consistency, work their way up the table, and get out of that relegation battle. Well, that's pretty much us for this week, then. I think there's no other business. Uh, I don't think so. Yeah. I've so? defended myself from Donald's Twitter <laughs> criticisms, so I. <laughs> and we're all still friends. <laughs> so, from Adam McKendry. Cheers, guys. From Jonathan Bradley. Thanks very much. And for me, Gareth Anna. Thanks for listening.